As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., and I have the distinct pleasure to be here with the Vice President of Design for Global Family Care and Vice President of Design for P&G Ventures, Tyson Betts. Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. So Tyson, you and I had the opportunity to be introduced through a community leadership program, Leadership Cincinnati Class 42. The last best class. (laughs) Through the Cincinnati USA Regional Chamber We gravitate towards people that we are intrigued by, that we want to learn from, and I gravitate towards people who push the envelope and have crucial discussions and know that by talking about the right things that need to be discussed, we'll make the room better. So I'm very excited to have you in the studio during this time in our world, in our nation, in our communities. So thank you for being willing to hop on here with us. Absolutely, man. It, it's a pleasure to be here. As you mentioned, Leadership Cincinnati offered a unique opportunity for me to meet folks who would have been outside of my normal sphere of operation. Several of those relationships for me have continued, and I'm appreciative of the fact that we've been able to stay connected and always a bit of an open book for my friends so that we can try to grow together through these conversations. So, Again, I appreciate it, and I'm super happy to be here. Absolutely. So the topic of this month is courageous conversations and active listening. And I would love to learn from your perspective, being in a executive leader in a global organization where the spotlight is always on as it relates to social impact, global impact and the lens that you bring to life based on the boards that you're on and the communities that you serve and your own life experiences. I would love to hear from your perspective, what is the value of having courageous conversations and being an active listener? Oh, wow. There's a lot that we could delve into with that. For me, I would say first that the task of active listening is is both required not only because of my role and kind of level within the company to be sensitive to what others are saying or not saying, but is also a fundamental part of my technical training. I'm trained as a designer and in as much, you know, you're trained to deliver solutions that help address unmet consumer needs or unmet needs in general. And so a lot of the designer, a lot of what you're trying to address and what you're trying to deliver against is not what people are telling you they need, but what they can't tell you they need. And a lot of the same principles really apply to what I'd say is organizational listening. There will always be folks who will tell you everything that's wrong within an organization and everything that needs to be fixed. But I think a lot of what makes the best leaders better is the opportunity to take a step back every now and then just observe 
listening with your eyes and through observation so that you can see some of what folks may not be saying and how important that is to the organization and to individuals. So I think both having crucial conversations, difficult conversations, and the art of active listening can be tough, but very necessary. In particular with the organization, have they trained you additional with your design background? I mean, does Procter & Gamble spend time in this topic of courageous discussions and active listening? Yeah, I mean, in this space in particular, there are some specific trainings. I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with P&G, one of the things that the company has always been known and recognized for is their training and nurturing of management within the company. So the company has always had a portfolio of trainings available. Um, Some are required, some are optional that employees and managers can take in order to hone their own skills. Some are recommended depending on what your function is within the company. But in this space in particular, I could tell you, yes, there are a handful of courses that are available for folks to take. Crucial conversations is one that I've found particular value in. It's not a proprietary training. It is a training and a construct that's available to most everyone. But when we find these kinds of trainings, we typically bring in outside experts who can teach and train the organization in these spaces. And active listening is an area and space where we do also do some training. I think within that same space, and I've been trained on how to speak to consumers and do consumer research, which is, I would say, is a very similar kind of space where you get some technical training in those areas. And as you think through, I love the comment you made earlier. I want to double click on this, the, that our goal is identify what the consumer needs but isn't able to communicate. And I think how many times us as organizational leaders, if we don't have environments where our people can communicate, we're so far away from where they'll ever be able to share with us what they truly need. And at the Talent Magnet Institute, our belief is you need to be an ambassador for your people. If you want people to be an ambassador for your brand and for your organization, you need to lead first. You need to be that example and create an environment where respect is delivered and given so that trust is earned, right? And I assume that's very much so with the innovations and things that you hear about product development where, you know, entire groups and subsections of the human race can't communicate what they really need, but by listening, you can then design the future. Yeah, I mean, and so from a design discipline standpoint, I would say that our task is really as designers, as product researchers, in terms of our consumer understanding teams, is really to be able to observe and listen to the population as a whole and to our consumers or those consumers in the spaces where we play to try to understand what they need. For most of us, I would say, if you asked anyone if they needed an electric car, no one would have told you yes, right? Or if you'd asked anyone if they needed heated and cooled seats, no one would have told you that, right? So, I mean, I think as we think about 
many of the things that we enjoy in life. I would argue the things that we enjoy most are the things that are best designed. And the things that are best designed are the things that are delivering on a consumer need, whether or not we could articulate them. There's so much to take away from that dialogue of creating that type of behavior inside of our own leadership, right? And Yeah, I mean, with people and people behavior in organizations, it is similar but different, right? Designing products to meet a consumer need is one thing. I think designing an organization or making sure that your organization and the organizational leadership is listening and evolving and designing itself can be very difficult. I mean, because you're truthfully, you're dealing with two sides of a coin. One is the organization and what the organization may be voicing it needs. And the other is going to be the leadership of that organization and how it responds to what the organization said that needs, which may be similar or different than what the vision is for where the organization's leadership says it wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. So as it relates to the opportunities that you see forward and how even some of the complete disruption and issues of our current day, our current state, the lives that we're living, how do you bring the perspectives and experience that you have? How are you viewing the racial unrest, the pandemic that we're living in that's shaking up lives and businesses? Walk me through your lens on this. How does Tyson look at this? situation that we're in. Yeah, I mean, Mike, what I would tell you is probably a decade ago, I came to the realization that I was in some parameter, I could always say that I was the only one in the room, right? Whether it is you are the only designer in the room because the population of designers relative to the larger corporate population is going to be so much smaller, whether it is you're the only black guy in the room, just kind of based on statistics, whether it, there's always a way for me to say I'm the only one in the room. Even at home right now, I've got three daughters and a wife who are at home or rotating through at some point, which makes me the only guy in the room a lot of times. But for me, it really became, what do you do with that? So being the only one in the room gives you a unique and different perspective. And so the challenge as a leader, and for me individually, becomes how do you leverage, what do you do with the fact that you have a unique perspective and you might be the only one in the room? And I try to use that same perspective now, right? So I get super frustrated with the world as I look at it. I get annoyed by so much of the double standards that we use. I, you know, I'm disheartened by the polarization of the media and politics lately. But in all of those things, you know, or even, you know, in the organizations that I work with and involved in in the community, I always have to ask myself now referring back to that question of if you are the only one in the room, if you have a unique perspective, how could you, how should you, how do you leverage that perspective? to actually make a difference. So rather than dwelling on the fact that I'm the only one here and folks may not think what I think or they may not feel what I feel, that puts a greater beta 
on what I think to make sure that it gets voiced, right? So if I'm the only black guy in the room, I can't speak for all black people, but I can at least speak for me and some black people. And so then it becomes much more imperative on me to have to speak up, particularly in those spaces and places where that insight may not otherwise exist. I mean, I think it's the same as a designer. If you have unique insights based on who you are that are not otherwise represented, then I think, yes, it is more difficult, but it is also more important that you be able to speak up and represent those ideas. And have you found the best way to interject those perspectives and ideas or how, what have you (laughs) learned to manage through this during your career? Yeah. I mean, the tip that I use and kind of what I often tell my team is we all have an agenda and a job to do, right? So if you can understand what other people are working toward, you know objectively what they're trying to deliver and you can find a way to make that perspective, your voice or opinion valuable to them and because it's helping them to reach their goal, then I think people are more receptive to hear it. Now, it's a challenge, right, to say, how do I frame this? How do I voice this in a way that it looks like help rather than just an outright criticism? And I would also tell you that like that, it can also be a problem, right, that you're hesitant to not be confrontational. So kind of using my strategy of trying to find a way to help people reach their goals, that can sometimes put you a, a few seconds behind where you need to be to speak up, right? But I also believe that we all respond much better to help than we do to criticism. And if we believe that folks are on our team and helping us advance our own goals, then we're going to be receptive and welcoming to the input and advice that they have. It can be the same advice or the same criticism. It's just couched and framed in a different way so that it is more palatable to folks. I think the point you also made is that in order to do that best, we have to have trust with those in the room, right? They have to know where we're coming from. And we have to yeah. build confidence that we've done that in a way that I'm going to deliver the message, whether it's hard or easy messaging, so that they hear me. And exactly. one of the things that we need to do is kind of lay that foundation in advance if it's possible, right? And it takes time to do that, right? So, I mean, it can either be that in that moment, you've got to pause and really think about who you're speaking to, or it can be that you've got the foundation of a relationship and friendship established that you can kind of grab somebody by the elbow and have a sidebar, very kind of heart to heart kind of way, or you know how to address them in public in a way that you know that they can receive the information that you're saying a little differently. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's difficult. I mean, for me, I draw a lot of parallels between work and parenting. It's super difficult for me to really, truly understand how to speak to, you know, my 16 and 17-year-old daughters, because I have never been a 16 and 17-year-old girl. So I have to stop and try to listen and evaluate what they could be going through that's so different than... I could experience when I was 16 or 17, but that's one thing of it. But I also tell them I was once 16 and 17 too. I wasn't born 40 years old. I have been through a lot of the same thing. 
they, yeah. I do have some overlap, you know. Yeah. yeah. The opportunity for others. Are you very transparent with those on your team to set that same expectation that I, I need to hear your voice? I need for you to not feel like you're alone. And even if you are in your views, I need you to bring that forward because it makes us better. Yeah, I, I do try. And I think we all should try to do that. But we have to do that also understanding that everyone on our team is going to be a bit different, right? So even if we want to be that open door, open minded manager and leader, there are going to be some folks who just naturally aren't comfortable doing that. And so I think sometimes we just have to recognize how people operate and what that looks like and how we might be able to encourage them. I mean, even as I say that, I can reflect back to a time in my career, super early in my career, where in a team meeting, I had a senior leader stop and say, Tyson, you've been super quiet. And I can see that you're thinking there's something or perspective that you would offer that might help us continue to think through this, right? Which I thought was a very, it was a very mature thing to do. And if you aren't, you know, if she had not been through the things that she had been through, I'm not sure she would have been sensitive enough to say, okay, his style is probably not the same as some of the other people. He's getting talked over. Maybe I need to create a margin that allows him to be able to speak. Or he's a super junior person. He's probably not going to be comfortable speaking over other people. And so I think sometimes we also have to understand who the people on our teams are and be able to either create a margin for them to speak up or go to them separately and make sure that we follow up with them. Because while we would all love that everyone speak up in a clear and articulate voice at the most opportune time, that's just not how we all work. And so I think we have to be sensitive to that as well. Tyson, as you think through innovation and you think through social impact, social and emotional impact, some of the work that you all do at Procter & Gamble sets a tone for the work, right? Everyone's watching the brands. Everyone's watching the work and outcomes. I'm sure you always want more people to watch the brands <laughs> and outcomes. Absolutely. But it's a global brand. So what are some of the things that you're seeing that you're a part of that you're most proud of over the last six to nine months? I can honestly say, Mike, that we all want to say that we are proud of the company that we work for. But I'm not sure that we all have a moment where we can really point to and go, and there, right, is the moment that I was super proud to work for this company. I have surpassed that point at P&G, right? So, I mean, I can't say that I was never not proud to work at P&G. It's been a phenomenal company for me. It's taught me a lot, allowed me to continue to grow. But I can say over the course of the last couple of years, as this country has, I think, regressed into a space and a place where there has been more and greater racial and cultural divides, P&G has really stood up to, I think, exemplify its own internal, what we call our purpose, values, and principles. So there's a set of purpose, values, and principles that guides the work and behavior of the company and all of its employees. 
regardless of where we work and what we do, all employees of the company are to kind of follow the principles, which are really principles of honesty and integrity above, you know, anything else. When the company saw kind of where we were and what was happening, there was also a lot of internal conversations about what the effect of what was happening in the community was on employees and their ability to be able to come to work and do their best work. And I think, you know, it showed a great sentiment and sensibility of the company to be able to say, we have a population who are adversely affected by much of what's happening in the world. And if nothing else, they are distracted and may be acutely affected by some of what's happening, right? And then begin to produce a whole series of what I'd call public service announcements, for lack of a better word, to be able to share the expectation and express our purpose, values, and principles in a way that was relevant to the rest of the world and the consumers that we serve. So if you were to go on to YouTube and go to P&G's channel, you could see pieces of commercial copy, for lack of a better term, right? These are commercials and pieces that we created that do not feature products that speak to things that we all need to be thinking about. So the first in the series was the talk, right, which very directly addressed the conversation that most black parents have to have with their children as they get to a certain age about what you do and how you behave in public to make sure that you get home alive. That's not a conversation that most white families have with their children, but it is a very real and it's an unfortunate conversation that had to be had with me and I've had to have with my children and others have had to have with theirs that really implores the differences that exist between being black and white. That conversation has grown into other executions. So we also have the look, right? So any black person can tell you that every now and then you get a look, whether it's when you get in the elevator, when you walk in a room, when you walk in a business, there is a look that you know that someone is taken aback, uncomfortable, questioning why you're there, right? If that look were not directed at you, you may not have noticed. And then the last piece that we've produced in this series is called The Choice, which, which is really much more about just, not just about sharing what's happening, but really a question of what are we going to do about it? And for me, it really falls into I think challenging all of us individually to take action rather than simply saying, I'm not the one who does that, or nobody in my house or my family does that, to really be moved to take up the cause to say, if anyone still behaves in these ways that we see as inequitable and unacceptable, that we're all doing something about it to change it. So, I mean, these are the moments where I could tell you, yeah, I'm super proud of the company that I work for because you can best believe we get a lot of unflattering email and talk back from the community when we do those kinds of things, right? So people will say, why don't you just stick to selling soap, right? Or I didn't ask for this from you. It is a larger conversation that needs to be had. And I really wish that 
more companies would use their platform and reach to enable that conversation. Yeah, yeah, amen. I mean, there's always been an opportunity. Let's be clear. There's always been an opportunity for us to address the issues that others experience, right? And to step into that experience, to learn what it is to walk in another person's shoes and to help them and to protect them and to fight off and reject those actions and reactions that unfortunately fellow humans have. But right now, with what is happening, there are many organizations that are, and I've had many CEOs, Tyson, that have called me and said, I've never experienced this in my life personally, but I feel like my people are under attack. I feel like the depression, the unrest, the fear is something I have to deal with and I have to address. And also many who have been very regretful and hurt by the fact that they've never addressed it until now, right? right. And I think that is something that, you know, we all are at different aspects of our lives and lived experiences. And, you know, I ask anyone who is listening to this to ask your Black friend or friend of color, when was the first time you had uh, racism, you felt racism directed to you, right? Yeah. And I think the opportunity of hearing those stories of a friend who you care for and you're there for to share with you their story, right? And even in that line of thought, right, I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of add a little parenthetical piece here, right? So one is a lot of folks have had incredibly impactful, life-changing interactions that they would not care to relive, right? In one way or another, they have filed those experiences away. They've taken the learnings from them, and they don't really want to rehash them often. Many people are willing to do that, but, you know, I just kind of say that to say respectfully, there is no time like now where everybody Everybody who's not black wants a black friend that they could talk to to really try to understand more, right? And I would just kind of go, if you don't have a black friend, doesn't necessarily mean that you're racist, but I would kind of ask you why, right? Have you operated in a space and in a way where folks haven't been available for you to really have a meaningful friendship with? Now, if you do have that friend, I would say absolutely continue to build your relationship with them such that you have a level of trust that you can ask those questions you may not have asked. Help me understand what it's really like, right? Help me understand what those moments are that remind you that you are Black. Because I would argue there probably aren't a lot of situations where most white people would say, I was just reminded that I was white. They happen, but they probably don't happen that often, right? And so just build those relationships because a lot of the conversations and a lot of the instances and the things that people share, a lot of them can be incredibly painful. And a lot of them folks have filed away and really don't care to relive for the sake of everybody else. And so I just say, be sensitive to that such that you're not just kind of poking and prodding at 
super sensitive situations and stories for folks. Yeah, thank you for that. I think the other dynamic is organizational leaders. We want to create a culture, a place that invests and brings out the best of all people. And, you know, I also call out the discussions around other leaders of color, of other ethnicity and other skin tones, and also the differences between gender equity, right? Yes. And the dynamics that so many, and as organization leaders that are listening to this episode, we provide resources like becoming a better boss, becoming a better leader, how to be a great listener, how to provide the most effective onboarding experiences and opportunities to further develop your people. And the reality is the core values and the culture, we define culture as the thousands and thousands of interactions our people have each and every day, right? That's what this looks like. And think about that. What are the thousands and thousands of interactions that all of my people, no matter what level, no matter what their education background, no matter what position they're in, what are my people experiencing, right? And how do I create a place that is the place that they can trust, that they feel most safe? And that means getting personal and asking questions and ensuring that we're providing an equitable and intentional culture for all. Right. I'd like to assume that most leaders, most organizational leaders either one, want that. They want a diverse, inclusive, and equitable organization. Or even if they don't, that they understand the value of an inclusive, diverse, and equitable organization. I don't know that everybody does, but I don't want to assume that anyone does not. And so I do think that, you know, as leaders, it is our responsibility to not just set the vision for the organizational goals from a business development standpoint and how are we gonna grow the business and what those metrics are is also our responsibility and obligation to set the cultural goals, right? So what is it that we want? What is it that we want our people to represent? Are we really creating the space and opportunity for those things to be a reality? Absolutely, absolutely. I will say, and you know this Tyson is somebody who has listened to a couple of episodes or more of the Talent Magnet Institute, if they're along this journey and if they've touched this brand long enough, these are the kinds of leaders that are either curious about how to lead better or are actively pursuing that leadership, right? And they're actively pursuing their impact, not just on the work performance, but on the relationships that we have inside and outside the organization, the opportunity to make an impact on the community and take the examples that you shared earlier to be a voice because we all are within a community and sell or reach a community that we can have a greater impact than just our four walls, right? Yeah, absolutely. And should be having an impact beyond just our four walls. And then the lives and the humans that we employ, let's create the best environments for them. You know, many say if you help those individuals that are with you succeed, they're going to naturally help you succeed, right? It's the impact or the ripples that you kind of cast into the organizations around you as well as the world around you that if we are 
truly building, grooming, developing great people, the impact of those people in the organization as a whole is likely going to be much broader than just the organization that they work in. Those folks are going to have an impact that spreads far beyond just their business contribution. And I think that's how we need to and should be thinking about what the value of some of these conversations are overall as well. I mean, if we are developing great people and great organizations, we are also secondarily building a great community. We're building uh, great organizations outside of the workplace. We're making our city, our community better, richer to be able to live in. When those ripples start to move, I think it's when we really start to realize the impact of what the value of our people are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Tyson, as we wrap up this discussion, so you have an opportunity to be interacting and speaking and sharing your wisdom and insights and perspectives with an audience that's all over the world. It's, I think we're approaching 100 countries. Well, and this episode is episode 129. So we've been at this for a little while. How do you want to leave? What reflections, what perspectives do you want to leave with the listener beyond what you've shared? We've covered a lot of ground in our conversation. And the construct for a lot of what we're talking about is those crucial and tough conversations to have. And it took me a parting thought is the thing it took me a long time to really learn and internalize is the toughest conversations are typically the most important ones to have. They're tough for a reason, right? And if they weren't tough, they probably wouldn't be meaningful. If they weren't meaningful, they wouldn't be important. If they weren't important, they wouldn't have impact. Like you just kind of have to say, okay, why is this so difficult to have? Now, for me, I've said, the tough ones are the conversations with people on your team who may not be performing at the level you want them to. It's tough to kind of just go tell somebody they're not delivering, but I think the obligation is also to be able to tell them how they can improve, right? It's super tough to be able to have a conversation with your spouse when they're not happy with you or you're not happy with them. But I would argue that's probably the most opportune time to be going to have that conversation, right? Or when your kids are screwing up or when you've even disappointed yourself, like, can you have a conversation with yourself about what you did or what you did wrong or what you do different? You know, for me, the, the thought is just conversations that are tough are tough for a reason. It really doesn't do us any good to avoid them or delay them when we can just kind of have them. Because once you start, that's the hardest part right? It's just kind of starting that conversation. Once you start the conversation, it usually gets a lot easier. So I would just encourage us all to, I'd say one, recognize what those crucial conversations, those difficult conversations are, and two, be committed to having them sooner. Well, Tyson, thank you so much for joining us for this episode and this conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us and tuning into this dialogue. We really look forward to hearing your feedback, hearing how this episode struck you, what takeaways you have, and we hope to see you over in our podcast Facebook community at Talent Magnet Institute podcast on Facebook. So Tyson, thank you. For your Mike, thank you. Thanks, thanks to the organization. 
I appreciate what you're doing, the conversations you're having, because I think it allows us all to grow and think a little different and certainly broader than what our normal natural networks would be. So thank you for really facilitating, I think, what is a growth opportunity for all of us. Absolutely. It's our absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.